Hello and welcome to Alive or Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Blethering, I'll be taking us through Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. Good evening, Mr. McLeod. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Lav. How are you? I'm fantastic. I would like to give a big shout out to our listeners. We've actually had listeners, you know. Fuck off. Who'd have thought that someone would listen to our driveling pish? That's, <laughs> I know. Uh, that's awesome. Hello, listeners. Hello, ver- hello, listeners. It is an absolute pleasure to understand that you've clicked play on our quaint little podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That it's not just Lav and I talking to each other through a webcam. Uh, to any of those who are listening to us for the first time, welcome. We are alive or just blethering. If you want to reach out to us on our social channels, we are on Instagram and Twitter at AOGV Podcast. We are open to our DMs are open. Send us send us your love or send us your hate. No one's told me why. Oh, that's why they've not told me yet, because we're a week ahead. <laughs> oh, you're giving it away. Barely fucked that one, didn't I? Jesus. Almost. Ah, cat's out the bag, though, isn't it? Peek behind the curtain, we record a week in advance. So <laughs> tomorrow's episode, we haven't released yet. And I obviously say something at the end of what will be tomorrow's episode, last week's episode now, um, that um, I'm looking for that engagement. Looking for those, looking for sliding in those DMs, looking for that online abuse. So that's going to be interesting. But we're not here to talk about tomorrow's slash last week's episode. Tonight we're here to talk about Significant Other by Limp Biscuit. And yes, we are. Fuck me. What a polar, polarizing journey I have had this week <laughs> listening to Significant Other and revisiting what is probably the sort of first metal album I've I've listened to. I'm a little bit exhausted from it. Lav, how are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling the same. So as probably I hope our listeners can gather here, we basically listened to this album nonstop for an entire week to then talk about it together and sort of gather our thoughts on it and see how we sit. Um yeah, significant other's been a challenge. I'll I'm, I'm not gonna lie. We we message each other about it and I'm yeah funny mixed mixed emotions absolutely i kind of admittedly when i sort of first put it on and you, you know that uh, oh i can't even believe hell i've got the, the, the song that's in front of me just like this kicks off and you've kind of got like the, the the bouncy drum beat and then and then the guitars come in and i was just like oh you know it's almost like seeing an old friend and you're like oh fuck yeah like here here we go man it's the biscuit like this is this is gonna happen and then Pretty much by the end of the week, it's like, yeah, there's a reason why we don't talk anymore. It's because you're a fucking drunk idiot and I cannot be bothered with your pish anymore. <laughs> he is that mate that you just, oh, good, I'm, I'm glad I could say hello, but I'm glad I don't bump into you more often than than every 20 years. Um, just like this, I have. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be really, really honest with, with, with you, Keith, and our listeners. Just straight, straight out the gate. Okay. I never listened to Significant Other in full until last week. 
Shut up. Really? N- not even, not a word of a lie. I obviously listened to the singles, the big songs. You've got Nookie, mm-hmm. Brick Stuff, In Together Now, and 1999. I knew those songs from from just being and existing, but I never listened to Significant Other as an end-to-end album. I was not introduced to Limp Bizkit until the following album, uh, Chocolate Starfish, Hot Dog Flavored Water. So that one has a more... I don't know how to put it. That one's got a more nostalgic vibe to me. This had no nostalgia. Yeah. Your rose-tinted glasses are firmly on Chocolate Starfish, whereas, Fully. yeah, for me, it's probably more so um, significant other because you texted me during the week and said, oh, Chocolate Starfish is well the heavier album. It's the better album. Could not disagree with you more. I went back and listened to Chocolate Starfish. I didn't even recognize some of the songs, and I'm pretty sure I listened to that repeatedly. We're going to talk about it later on, but like Limp Biscuit is just basically Fred Durst's sequel trip. And I think the music yep. is way more interesting and way more prevalent on Significant Other than it is on Starfish. That's not to say there's not good songs on Starfish, just like there's not good songs on Significant Other. Like Boiler, I think, stands as an amazing song on Starfish. But Banger. what the fuck is Exhibit doing on Chocolate Starfish? Like that song is. A complete and utter effort to try and like reinvigorate end together now. Well, it just hold on. It, so exhibits allowed on Chocolate Starfish, but Method Man is allowed on Significant Other. Exhibit can be on Chocolate Starfish all he wants. I'm just saying okay. it is a really poor song, a really poor ripoff of what was end together now. I love end together now. I really really like end together now. It's got. I love end together now as well. It's got a fantastic vibe. To me, though, in my opinion, it shouldn't be a Limp Bizkit song. It should be Method Man featuring Fred Durst. Well, fucking, we'll get into it, but yeah, End Together Now doesn't doesn't even make sense. Like once you sort of realise how they produced that song, you're just like, why why did you why did you do that again? But yeah, well, we get into some of the guts of this album, and we'll um, then we can voice off what we think about. Sure, L I M P Bizkit is fucking still here. Oh, oh God! Please don't, please don't. I've had so much of this album this week. I just can't take any more. I know. I think I said to you earlier in the in the day. This is the last time I'll ever listen to Significant Other in its entirety. <laughs> Fuck me. Brilliant. But um, okay. Introduction. Significant Other is the second album by American rap rock band Lip Biscuit, released in June twenty second, nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. That. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that hurt my voice. Um, did you ever listen to Three Dollar Bill? Nope. No, gonna gonna be so honest with you. Limbiscuit, I listened to because it was cool to listen to Limbiscuit. I did not listen to them because I enjoyed them. I think I probably did too. Like when you're that kid and you try smoking because you think it's cool and you're just like. <gasps> There's a fantastic analogy. Limbiscuit is just like smoking. It's bad for your health, but you did it because all your other mates were fucking oh man we're going to discover so much about ourselves tonight um <laughs> so yeah yeah i never listened to three dollar bill i remember i think i remember faith coming out and I was like, oh is that on or, is that on three dollar bill yeah we'll get into it a little bit but um right yeah faith was their last single off of three dollar bill and it went what you would have said today viral like it exploded and it was all over the charts it was all over radio people fucking loved it so 
yes, okay. that 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 was Faith. But we'll um we'll, we'll rattle off some details first. So yeah, it was their second album. It was recorded between November nineteen ninety eight and February nineteen ninety nine at our old friends NRG Recording Studios, California, the birthplace of new metal. It's, I think every album we've done so far has been at NRG, hasn't it? Fuck, it could be. Infest was Hybrid Theory was where was White Pony? Uh, White Pony wasn't. White Pony was somewhere else, surely. I don't know. You did. You, you did the episode, mate. It was. A, it was. It was a long time ago. I can't remember. I really was, can't remember. Don't make it was tomorrow it. for some people. It was just last week. For... <laughs> it was. It was a I while fuck. ago for me. I can't. I, remember. I don't think it was there. I don't think it was there. Right. Okay. Well, if if it wasn't, it's three out of four albums what we've it, done so far recorded what, in the same place. What we did have was Jeff Blue discovered Limp Bizkit. Your man. He's, yeah, well, I didn't go to the origins of Limp Bizkit. I've just gone to a significant other, so... Um, we don't need to. Not, <laughs> we don't need to. We've not got Jeff Blue. What we do have, though, is returning producer Terry Date, who did do um, White Pony. Well, he did a lot of important albums, as we discussed previously. Well... Sure, and one thing I said about White Pony, one good thing I could say about White Pony was I enjoyed the production. And for me, you know, straight away on Just Like This, when it actually kicks in, like, I have a totally new appreciation for, for Wes Borland and Sam Rivers out of Limp Biscuit because I think, musically, this is a way more diverse and, and interesting album, and I think the, the production emphasises that, whereas if you go to Chocolate Starfish, it's the, the band are way back in the mix, and it's a lot of Fred in, in, in the front, but that's just that's just my opinion. So, yep, producer, Terry Date, as we know, Deftones, Pantera, White... White Zombie? Yeah, White Zombie. Uh, also Slipknot and Corn, amongst many others. Indeed, an important man in the music that we and probably you listeners at home as well. If, if Jeff Blue is the godfather, then Terry Date must be the cool uncle. He's the fixer. He was the one that made it <laughs> the happen. Fixer. Yeah. Um, not the creepy photographer that I thought he might have been, which was Terry Richardson, but fuck that. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up, especially if those who listened to the previous episode will understand. Um, Keith just heard the word Terry and just instantly assumed he was a really, really nasty man. <laughs> Oh, Terry Date, Terry Richardson. I'll forget. I, I was, I was, uh, I was. I thought I was being alert. So four singles. You said nineteen ninety nine a minute ago, didn't you? I did, and it's probably because it's a song that I may or may not have acquired through the usual legal means that we acquired songs mm. as HMV, as yeah. Yeah, HM, H H M Vista. Um, yeah, <laughs> I might have acquired it through that. I I would again. We're just we're we're gonna cover Napster so many times over the next few weeks. But if you were like me, you just typed in an artist's name and just saw what came up. Mm-hmm. And I'm end together now was there 1999, and Break Stuff and Nuki were on MTV too, and Kerrang on repeat. So those songs were the ones that I was aware of. The rest were not until I listened to them. And I'm kind of fine with that. I've there's zero regrets in that. So wait, the the songs you'd only ever downloaded previously were the only songs you knew going into this. Yes. So you'd never heard No Sex before. Nope, I had not, and that is a skippable track if I could ever hear one. Oh my god! There is so many tracks on this album that I am happy to have never heard. 
the one that I actually, it's not a regret, but I, I like, kind of like Rearranged. It's not a bad song. You'd never heard Rearranged before this. Keith, I had never listened to this album, so we're going to... But Rearranged, it was a single. There's a video. It gets played everywhere. You'd never heard Rearranged. If I had heard it, it was... It had gone over me. It had made no impression on me. There we go. Wow. But it has now. It has now. I'm never going to listen to it again, but yeah, it has now. I can't believe you've spent the last 20 years not knowing Rearranged. I just knew Significant Other existed. I knew it was an album. I knew it was the one before the one I liked. And I knew the the big songs. Break Stuff. It's huge. Rearranged was one of the big songs. Uh, you, yeah, sure. I'm, I, okay, I, okay. It probably right. was, but anyway, here we are. Man, bombshell from you right there, having never known Rearranged for the last 20 years. Um, right, the singles were, there was four singles. There was Nuki, Rearranged. Thank you. End, to, end Together Now and Break Stuff. They were released between June 16th, 99 and February 22nd, 2000. Um, there's quite a lot of additional musicians on this. Well, we've already mentioned Method Man on End Together Now. And I think that brings... So I'm a, I'm a, I love um, Wu-Tang Clan, 36 Chambers. Okay. I think Method Man is one of my favourite rappers to listen to. I couldn't tell you much about his, his discography or anything, but when he does come on, I do enjoy his his tone, his voice, and the way that he raps. I think he's a, a really solid rapper. And when Wu-Tang's on, I don't skip a song. End Together Now feels like a Wu-Tang song featuring Fred Dust. I've said that already. Yeah, we, well, we're on End Together Now. I might as well bring it up. But what they did with End Together Now was brought in a second DJ. Not DJ I, Lethal. Have I not brought? Have I not written his name? So it wasn't DJ Lethal on End Together. Now. DJ Lethal's on the on the album, but they brought in a second DJ. Here it is now. So for End Together Now, the band wanted to record a track that was straight up hip hop, and I think that's fair to say. It is a very it is a hip hop song. You take that box, boys. Well done. The song was originally titled Shut the Fuck Up, how original, uh, but was retitled End Together Now for marketing purposes. Because, you know, got to get got to get them residuals. Smart um, choice. I mean, I'm just looking down the, the list of the, the, the song titles on Spotify at the moment, and there's a lot of E in there, E for explicit, um, mm-hmm. in every track but three, by the looks of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you made the decision to not... Make it an explicit title as well as all the explicit stuff inside of it as well. Thank you. Yep. DG Premier was brought in to produce the track with Method Man. So they didn't use Terry Date on End Together Now. They brought in a second DJ to produce End Together Now alongside Method Man. So that kind of, that's kind of what I mean with like, that just seems like a convoluted convoluted way to, to, to do the, the album or to do the track. Sure, get the personnel in to, to do the album, but you've got DJ Lethal, you've got Terry Date, who is a good producer. Why are you bringing in another guy on top of a featured artist? If I was to hazard a guess, now, am I right in understanding there is no guitars in this? There's no Wes Bolland? There's no, is there any other um, Limbiscuit members on End Together now? 
No, I think the band are there. Um, there is there there is a melody sort of in the background that I think is probably Wes just just plucking away on on guitar, but it's obviously not in the lead, and there's a bit more of a break track, and there's quite a cool bass line in it as well, which was is probably Sam. I, I'm assuming it's not all like pulled together like a like a like a hip hop track, as if I know how hip hop tracks are pulled together. Well, thank you for saying that because that is my only explanation as to why they possibly didn't use Terry Date on this track is because Terry Date is a hard rock metal producer and maybe they wanted the insights of perhaps someone who is more orientated towards that i don't know i'm not i'm just just guessing yeah no that i mean that's actually probably a very valid point and uh, thanks for um bringing that up and, and telling me why probably um yeah I, I don't really know but i just thought when i read that i just thought they had dj lethal You've brought in another DJ. Just, just, just. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I over. Maybe I read too much into it. Maybe. But um, yeah. You've got Method Man. You've got everyone's favorite Jonathan Davies. Love his voice. So, <laughs> so much of a. He's got a really, really like. Anytime oh, you hear Jonathan genuine. Davies, I am being genuine. He's, his voice stands out, and you've got to give credit when when you hear that voice, you're like Jonathan Davies, and. And the same can be said for, for Fred Durst. Whether you like it, love it or hate it, whenever Fred Durst appears on a track, you know it's Fred Durst's voice. But there are today, in today's standards, there are bands that say featuring some artist you've never heard of, and it literally could just be the same singer that you were listening to for the entire track. Um, Valid. And I, I think there's too many, too many artists today are too similar. And I can only, could I, I'm, thinking like maybe Spencer Sotelo from Periphery, when his voice comes on a track, you go, ah, oh, there's Spencer. Funny you should say that. So I think last year I sent you his like electro pop band. Is it Nikki? What, what, what are they called? Oh, fuck. Nikki nah, something. Don't, don't. Yeah, I can't remember. Nikki Money or something, something Nick or, oh, fuck, totally forgotten. But um, the thing was, is we were driving in in our car my partner and i and it was her phone that was playing it was her spotify which you know we never listen to because it's always my spotify on purpose but yeah uh, han was playing some like electro pop stuff and then i'm just driving along and i'm like that's spencer satello why the fuck am i listening to spencer and boom i knew his voice straight away and quite like his synth pop electro new but then you look at like the metalcore vocalists of today you could line them up and they're all just Sam Carter Car. from Architects wannabes. The, I mean, I don't, one of my running jokes there is, and I, apologies, I do not mean to take the piss out of this person, but whoever the vocalist is from uh, Barry Tomorrow, like, have you heard Barry Tomorrow? I have heard Barry Tomorrow, yes. I think their vocalist is the most generic stock vocalist number one like guy around and i've seen them live i can't remember who they supported but i've seen them live and i was just like hmm okay hey mom can we have architects for tea no you we have architects at home plays berry tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway let's get let's let's uh so you've got the the setup here they're in nrg we've got a track on there that wasn't recorded when the rest of the 
album was recorded. Is that is that how I'm understanding that? What in together now? Yeah. So you mentioned that it's got a different producer. Was it recorded after, or was it recorded alongside? How how's that come about? Um, I don't really know. Okay. As far Fair as enough. I'm aware, no. As, as far as I'm aware, it was all part of the recording process. It, it was recorded uh, along with the rest of the album. They just brought in some new pers- different personnel to achieve that that straight up hip hop track. Um, but the band, so the band also co- collaborated with corn vocalist Jonathan Davis, and our second feature for Scott Wheeland from Stone Temple Pilots. Again, another prolific um, artist. He was maybe about two years out from Velvet Revolver at that point, probably. So yeah, so he's 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 around. He's in the scene. I think it's important to kind of point out that Stone Temple Pilots, in my estimation, were a bit of a late grunge band. They were they were more mid nineties than early nineties, as far yeah. as their 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 success goes. I I don't know a lot about Stone Temple Pilots. I know of Stone Temple Pilots, and of course I know of Velvet Revolver. I suppose I'm just fully aware of like. Scott Whelan's struggles with drugs that eventually yeah. took his life. Mm. Obviously, I'm fully, I'm more aware probably of Velvet Revolver than I ever was of Stone Temple Pilots. But yeah, he he wasn't just on this track for nobody like you. Um, Whelan would frequently visit Energy Studios and help with the recording, but also was essentially a vocal coach to Durst. Wow. That's sort of how, it's a very similar to story to how um, James Maynard Keenan got involved with Maynard James Keenan. That's you. That's on you. Maynard James Keenan. It is. We, we no, People never heard it. Maynard James Keenan <laughs> got involved James with, with White... Stop it. Got involved <laughs> with uh, White Pony. Was He was just in the space with them. He was in the same area as them. And he just got involved in, in like helping put a track together. And it's clearly something that was good from an from an artist's perspective having someone as as experienced as Wheeland in the studio with Durst, who I can only imagine being an absolute diva to work with, might have been a, a bit of a grounding experience for him to be around actual rock royalty at that point. I did read an article at the time, and it sort of said that you know Durst was the essential businessman, and he was you know. Part, part of um of getting your name out there and part of we've we've sort of read into it as well as you know collaborations and so that's why some this particular article suggested you know you've got jonathan davis you've got scott wheeland you've got method man uh on this track i mentioned earlier no sex you've got aaron lewis from stained because stained was a band that fred was was sort of bringing up and we all know stained what the fuck was that song it's been a while thank you it has been a while since <laughs> didn't I didn't even need to think that. It's just it's on you. You do it. I know. And and neo, so the the article neo grunge. Su- <laughs> yeah, the article was sort of suggesting that you know that's kind of what Fred's doing here. He's getting these artists in because it's collaboration. It engages their fans as well as it does Limp Biscuits fans. True. Um, which which I thought was very interesting. Whether that was his intention or not, I don't know. Maybe he was just hanging out and writing songs with his friends. You know what? I've, what I, from what I've heard, any band that has treated itself seriously from day one and treated itself as a business is likely still either making money today or still 
in some way together and even making albums today. So Limp Bizkit, yeah, they've not really made an album, a successful album at least, never going to be to the success of what they had in the early 2000s. But another band that treated itself really seriously internally, management-wise, but you wouldn't think it was Slipknot. Yeah, 100%. Day one, Sean, clown, the guy who wears a clown mask. Yeah, it's almost like God, so on the nose, like isn't it? He, from day one, said, this is how we're going to do things. And it is his influence for Slipknot, which has meant they kept focus and they were always doing the right things. They were never going to be seen without the masks. They always made their appearances in masks. They did interviews in masks. And it added to the allure of them or the, the mystery around them and it kept them in the psyche and it made the brand. And it's again, it's about branding. That's what Slipknot's brand was. If you, you mention a masked band to someone, the first thing that comes to the mind is Slipknot. Uh, I was going to say Mushroom Head. No, of course you were. <laughs> but <laughs> Limp Bizkit, as much as we see Fred Durst as the diva, the, the celebrity, the prankster, whatever you want to call him, I can imagine he was the driving force because he knew what he wanted to achieve with the band. And I have no doubt that he did that in spades. Yeah, funny you should say that. I've kind of got some 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 quote, a, a quote on that from Les Claypool sort of coming up with regards to Durst himself and, and, and who he is and the sort of person that he was. Um, but but we'll get there. A couple, uh, couple of features on this album that didn't actually make the cut, and you might be surprised for this. They, um, oh, they, recorded, for this. A, they recorded a song with Eminem called Turn Me Loose, which was left off the album. And Eminem, he was... I mean, he must have been like hot property at that time. Well, if Fred Durst is like, you know, the guy that sort of, you know, is lifting up uh, Stained, Aaron Lewis, well, Dr. Dre was the guy that was lifting up Eminem at this time, wasn't he? Like, these guys were collaborating and working together. So, so yeah, there was a bit of a fallout with Eminem later on. I'm not going to go into all of Fred Durst's feuds because there's fucking loads. I always question these feuds because, to me, a lot of them were just for, for to sell magazines or whatever. Absolutely, no no news is or sorry, bad news is is bad press is good press and it's all press and it's all gets your name out there. Hundred percent, it probably was just a market employee. But as well as Eminem, System of a Down's Serge Tannikin was on this album. Really? But he never made the cut. I'd love to hear that song. That would be an interesting so, mix. He was featured on "Don't Go Off Wandering." He appeared on the demo version of the song where he sang the bridge and ending chorus but his vocals didn't appear on the album version. There's, I didn't find enough on, on, on why he didn't make the cut, but apparently there was a demo version recorded with Serge. Interesting. And he became one of the most, one of the more kind of recognisable vocalists again. Like if you ever heard Serge on an album post-Toxicity, you're going to be like, oh, that's the guy from System of a Down. You're never going to question that. Shit. Just, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting watching... Uh, get- Getting ready for Kong versus uh, Zilla, and I'm watching uh, uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters, and then the title credits rolling. It's Serge Tankin. He did the the title song for Godzilla, nice. King of Monsters, and I was just like, "Holy fuck!" Serge Tankin bellowing out Godzilla is hilarious. I need like, to get that. In. Like he says that. the word. It's really funny. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that's sort of the featured artists that were um, on the song. Or sorry, on on the album and, and and even a few that didn't make it. 
I've mentioned Les Claypool. He's the guy in the intro. You wanted the worst. You've Is got he? the worst. Let Again, Les Claypool is another one of those um, personalities that just seeps through so many things. Um, if anyone of our listeners who doesn't know, he was the bass player in Primus. Yeah. And uh, if you've ever watched Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Which one is that? Is, one or two? That's the second one. Thank you. Where they've got the battle of the bands at the end. Yes. The the band that plays before Bill and Ted come on is Primus. That, right. I know Primus. Quite frankly, I only knew of them originally from the South Park intro. Yeah, that too. And you would think as a bass player, I'd fucking idolize Les Claypool. But I just never got into Primus. They, they just, to me at the time, they just seemed too much of a joke band. I mean, two songs I could name from Primus were... The South Park intro, or Winona's got a big brown beaver, and that's all I can say. <laughs> Just saying that song title so straight faced is brilliant. Exactly. I've <laughs> since like watched videos. Just to like see the guy play and sort of the stuff he does, I understand he's an amazing technical musician and whatever. But I never got into Primus. I was surrounded by guys that loved them. Yeah, I'm the same. There was a few songs that kind of came and went. Um, I remember he did some work with. Do you remember the guitarist Buckethead? Yeah, the guy that yeah. plays Slash in Guns N' Roses. Well, Buckethead was his own solo kind of artist at 100%. the time. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't, yeah. He, uh, yeah, him and him and Les, they had a thing. So if you ever hear a Buckethead song, it's it's usually Les that's playing bass on that as well. Um, I'm sure it was our mutual friend Bob Ag that once told me a long time ago. And it makes sense as to why Les is, is so sort of featured heavily on this album, is that Wes and Les were really good friends. That would make sense. They're both extremely weird. Both extremely <laughs> weird, you know, very outward and, and artistic in that sort of sense. I think they contributed a lot to, to each other's playing, or as I understand it, more so Les sort of taught Wes a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't know I which that. way that went round. I have no nothing to back that up. It's just a conversation I seem to remember from a friend of ours. But, that's but yeah, um, Les is on it. And I suppose finally, um, the only other person to really mention is Scott Borland. Wes Borland's brother um, plays keyboards on the album. Fair enough, yeah. Um, musical family, I no doubt they're going to be one or two talented yep. individuals. He's on, he's on quite In a that few gene songs pool. as well. Yeah, totally. Mm. He's, on, he's on quite a few songs. Um, specifically, he is on just like this. Nuki rearrange. I'm broke. 1999 and a lesson learned. It's almost like the the sixth member, essentially, but never never credited as such, which is which is interesting. Going over some tracks, or because well, we I've talked got, about I've got um, to say. <laughs> we talked about faith earlier. So I'll yeah, just, I'll just I'll just sort of pick up from how they sort of got came out of the the three dollar bill y'all cycle and, and, and into into um this significant other so following the read of success of the band's cover of george michael's faith the band was determined to follow up on their first album in order to show that they weren't just a corn ripoff so there is another thing if i think limp biscuit i'm uh, about to think corn if i think corn i'm about to think limp biscuit like the two bands were synonymous you know they were just from 1998 to like 2003 like these guys were like practically side by side is that fair 
it would be a fair comment. Um, I've been kind of reading up a bit on corn, just getting ready for the eventual episode that will include a corn album. Um, and effectively corn, I don't want to say invented new metal, but they, they popularized it and made it what it is today. They, they, they're the fathers of, of new metal. Limbiscuit took the torch and then carried it into the year 2000 and made it their own. There are a lot of corn like bands. So let's throw in a band like Cold Chamber. They could just be corn like. But then Limbiscuit okay. came along and brought in another element. They brought the rap, they brought that street hip hop sound into new metal and that really was just a big fusion of 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 sounds which and that was the main picture like you know you had corn with the yeah. sort of weird downtuned guitars and in in sort of discordant sort seven of strings seven strings let's not yeah. let's not beat around the bush they didn't have downtuned guitars they popularized the seven string fuck yeah they did and then yeah i suppose you're right then then you could argue limp biscuit brought in bottom the rap at that point I mean, we were talking about about it at Infest. We compared Infest to Corn's issues and Limp Bizkit, Chocolate Starfish. Now, while those two were were bigger, you know, you've you've still got your your everything we've covered so far. Infest and, and Hybrid Theory all featured a rap element at some point. Yeah, and I'm just just while we've got it in front of me, the can we talk about the artwork of Significant Other? We can do, but I don't have anything on it because I didn't look into it. I, we don't need to. I just want to point out how on point that album cover is for 1999. Like, Ooh, it is, it is so on point for 1999, yeah. You've got your Adidas, you've got that red cap, it's baggy jeans, it's in that perspective, and the colours and the fonts. It's spray paint. Like It just graffiti. looks... It, 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 honestly, if you wanted to... Cap, if, if anything could capture a year in a fucking album cover. It's significant other. I can't knock that. I have to say, like, I will say this, that as much as I praise Chocolate Starfish for for what it contains, the cover of Significant Other is far, far superior. A million miles superior to Chocolate Starfish. That's got a butthole on it. This does not. <laughs> What I didn't even, or what I only re-acknowledged recently um, was that Chocolate Starfish, at the top it says Limp Biscuit presents Chocolate Starfish in the hot dog flavoured water. Like, it's not... Ah. I, I find that incredibly pretentious. I'm just Sorry. having a, a quick scan as to who did the artwork and I'm gonna fail miserably. Fail miserably. Not to worry. I should have probably sent you this question in advance. That's one of the questions I would have asked. Who made the artwork? Because it is so on point. And the fact is, you could show me that picture with no text, with no context, and I'd know exactly what it contains. There is no escaping what is behind this album cover. And this is exactly what you get. As soon as you press play, you get that album. There's no like, there's no rug pull. Yeah. You know, you are getting you are getting exactly what you're looking at in Actually, this album. Wes Borland is credited as artwork. Okay. 
So nice. it was from that. I would assume it was Wes himself. I follow Wes on Insta, and yeah, he puts a, a shit ton of of art up there. Um, so I'm just yeah. I'm just struggling to connect the art he puts on Instagram now as opposed to this, you know, idealization of of the year 1999 because they're two very different things at the moment. But I suppose over 20 years has passed, so the guy's probably developed his style a bit more. Maybe, but, so. Um, Maybe so. Right, so they didn't want to be a corn ripoff or a cover band. The, be- the band began writing the album, which dealt with issues deriving from their newfound fame. The BAM... The BAM... Christ. The, well, they are BAMs, essentially. The band immediately began recording after the conclusion of the Family Values tour, despite the insistence of Interscope Records that they take a break. So someone wrote a book somewhere about Limp Biscuit, and I sort of read the passage... And yeah, they essentially came off tour like high as fuck. They were just totally riding the energy. They knew they wanted to get back in and and just start writing because they, they felt good coming off the tour. They were tight as a band having played together on tour. They thought this is the time. So whether that was detrimental to them in any way or shape or form, I'm not too sure. But yeah, they, they came straight off of Family Values and went into this into recording this album. Nice. That's, you know what? If there was bands that I could see as being not really that involved in the in the drugs and alcohol sort of side of things, I could see Limbiscuit being sort of separate from that. Yeah, they were the party band, but I don't see them as being... I've not read anything following the last 20 years that any of them have ever ended in any kind of major hurt for being alcoholics or being addicts of any kind um the only thing i'm aware of is that deji lethal did um he actually left the band for a phase and it was essentially due to um yeah he was he was totally off off his shit on fair enough on the drugs let me double check what Thanks that for was it was yeah he he was not in the band between 2012 to 2018 is the band still going the band are still going. I was sort of shocked to learn that they had an album after Golden Cobra recorded, but it's been in, quote, development hell. And so it's, sound ne- good. it's never actually been released. There's, I mean, I, I can understand is- something like a video game going into development hell because there's a lot of artistic, you know, kind of direction that could go right. and, and, and making it. But an album in development hell, that that yeah. tells me a bigger story. There's, that it sucks or if, it, it's yeah. missing something. If you check um, Spotify, you will see there's a couple of songs released that are post Golden Cobra, and um, there's a couple of quotes online as well. Wes saying his guitar parts are done. Done. Fred just needs to record his vocals. Fred saying I think it was circa 2013. Excuse me, that the album had actually been online for a year wow you know apparently they had they had signed i did read up on it i don't i don't have the the specifics in front of me but they had signed to a label they sat with that label for a year it went nowhere they left and sort of since then the um the album has been trapped in quote development hell but yeah i I don't know about you i give golden cobra one listen and i was just like never gonna hear that again no, I think I could. Again, it's probably it came out right at the beginning of this. I was not a huge Limp Bizkit fan. I had Chocolate Starfish. 
I was aware of the existence of significant other and three dollar bill. Um, I think I heard two songs since Chocolate Starfish that I could name. There was the Who cover, uh, Behind Blue Eyes, mm-hmm. and that song off Results May Vary, uh, Eat You Alive. I really liked Eat You Alive, actually. The video was fucking Max Creep, man. Like, he essentially kidnaps a girl, and the actress Thora Birch. Thora Birch? And have, have you seen the video? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I have vague, vague, vague recollections yeah, of it. it fuck, was... I just remembered. Is it Bill Pullman is in this video? Jesus Christ. Bill Paxton. One of the Bills. And um, $3 Bill, y'all. $3 and, uh, he, he, he kidnaps Thora Birch. It's like fucking Florida man in a video. And, um, you know, he, the, the song Eat You Alive is essentially a love song to her. And almost by like the end of the video, she's, I mean, she's tied up through all of it, right? But towards the end of the video, she falls in love with him and runs away with him. And like you see Bill Paxton and or Pullman, supposed to be her father, like running through the running through the Everglades looking for them. It's nice. I like the song, but it was it was kind of fucked now that I think about it. That is fucked up. That's what I, we had, um, that's what I we would had like Smith on. I would like to come back to Significant Other and really address the elephant in the room here. So at the beginning of this conversation, we've both pretty much said that we wouldn't go back to this album. Yes. I can I can identify what it is that I think is missing from this album. And it's a solid drummer. I've, yeah. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit too hard on, on John Ottawa. The man can hold a beat. But right from the beginning, right from track two, just like this, there's that line. It's like John Otto, or he doesn't say John, bring that beat back. You were going to say John Otto, bring us to the Matthews Bridge. Yeah, that's, I've got that in my head from, from my generation. Sorry. But in just like this, it's like, bring that beat back. And I just want it to be like some huge, big, like, and it's like, the most basic ass 4-4 shit you'll ever hear. And that riff, that 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 beat is played in its entirety through this album to the point where I feel that John Otto could just be a drum machine. Like a literal sample machine. <laughs> just you program it in, right? What What's he going to do? You're going to do this. And that, to me, is a very hip-hop way of working. So... Mm-hmm. I think I've said it. I feel that this album was more of a hip hop album with rock and metal elements than Chocolate Starfish's rock and metal album with hip hop elements. How does that sit? I disagree. Um, okay. I, I mean, I have no comment really on on John Otto on Significant Other. Perhaps almost in support of your point that he didn't really stand out to me to the point where I didn't think his drumming was great and I didn't think his drumming was bad. To to your point about like John Otto bring or John bring the beat back, like he does exactly what Fred asks. He brings the beat back. You know? And yeah. it's just it's just that sort of drop. So I don't like it's not like John Otto bring us to the Matthews Bridge where he kicks off the song. He just brings Oh where, the where beat he plays back. four four with a double bass drum. Yeah that that totally Totally ups the game. What's eh? your beef with four four? 
Do you hate Western I just wanted music? I just wanted something like a really fulfilling drum fill. Just a fill. Not even like, yeah, you can go back into 4-4, whatever. We're not listening to prog metal. We're listening to fucking Limbiscuit, for crying out loud. Right. If it goes into 4-4, that's fine. But give me something. Give me like a run into it. Like, I don't know. It just right. feels you, so... You didn't get what you want and now you're criticising the drummer. I mean, that's maybe your problem, bud. Maybe so, but that that <laughs> then trans that that feeling I could never escape from throughout every song on the album. Every song I suddenly realized like, wow, the drummer just brings zero to this game other than a straight beat. Which maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe artistically that's what they, they wanted. They wanted Fred to be the vocals and vocals to take the front stage mm-hmm. and center. We've got Wes, who's making some down-tuned, heavy guitar sounds. And then John Otto just papping away. John Otto, just fucking do what you were doing before, bud. Whatever, man. No one's listening. Um, yeah, no, f- fair enough. Um, I, I, I don't... To, to me, the, the album was um, more about re-sort of discovering Wes... And, and giving a little bit more credit to Sam but to go back on something you said about how um, what is it Significant Other is a hip hop album with metal elements and Significant and Starfish is a metal album with hip hop elements I think it's the other way around wow. I think I, th- I, th- I still think this is something we must disagree on but Significant Other is far more the metal album than what Starfish was because you I mean you've got songs like Right, just like this, meh, whatever. It's there's 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 uh, I've I've got here the bass absolutely rumbles through this, so there's a pretty pretty solid bass line through that. That's not necessarily necessarily metal. Nuki and break stuff were the singles, whatever, but they were still heavy or heavier, I think. And then mm, I think he- heavy is subjective. That that's that, there's the first problem in in, in this argument probably. that I'm trying to make is that that what one person finds heavy, another person may not. Um. It's just interesting that I think they took a completely mirror approach to someone like the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys were a hardcore band. Mm, they yeah. they made they made fast, violent hardcore music in New York in the mid eighties, and then they kind of moved into becoming a hip hop band in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Limp Bizkit started more hip-hop and then and then they grew into this and then you talk and then suddenly eat you alive which is just a straight metal rock song yeah they they always maintain those elements i mean you've got a guitarist like wes borland that's always gonna happen fuck wes wasn't even on that song so that's irrelevant exactly wes wasn't on the album that's one of the reasons that results may vary was such a fucking pisser was because it was just just fred basically wasn't it by that point But, but then go to track 11 trust on significant other it's like the just that driving like that's the heavy song on the album easily but i don't think they ever kind of come back to anything like that at least between significant other and and starfish the thing here as well is neither of us have listened to three dollar bill so we can't really like track x progress and you're right heavy is subjective but I, i would just always argue that like the music on significant other is far more interesting and 
features Fred slightly less than what significant other does uh, sorry starfish does yeah yeah fair enough and you know what i think that that is a, a testament to the time i'm pretty sure it must have been like the writing was on the wall you think back to 99 you had fred durst on stage with christina aguilera at like the mtv awards or whatever it was he was an absolute star like he he had the star power yeah he was huge and Clearly, when the record companies saw how much he was, just him alone, just his name was worth, they clearly saw that in the following albums. They're like, well, we need to make Fred. Fred's the star here. He's the he's the man of the show. He's the one we want to be front and center. Um, and yeah, he, he brought the whole style and everything. He 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 was the epitome of new metal. Oh no, I, th- I think you're giving way too much credit to the label there i think fred was the reason that he became forward in the sorry mix. actually yeah sorry sorry on that i don't want to make it sound like he was a passenger in all this he he definitely was so critical to the the success of himself 100 percent. and at some point he became a, a part of interscope records he was he was one of the directors or or, or managers or or something um, I've not really looked at it. Probably a right place for him. He he could he could make stars, and especially if like you were saying, um, Limp Bizkit were bringing up who was it you said they they brought up through the ranks, Stained. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I probably would never have heard of Aaron Lewis and Stained unless they did that dreadful live performance. Oh my god! Where... The video, <laughs> which the, you can't. The, the video. Oh, what was the song called? I can't remember what song they were doing, but it well, was... You, you named it earlier. Lewis. It's, it was their song. It, what was it? It's been a while? Was it? It's been a while? Yeah, it's been a while. And it's just him and Fred, like, sat down, like, practically bent over each other. Like, or Fred's, like, sort of, you know, dropped into himself with the microphone and Aaron Lewis has got the acoustic guitar and it is utterly fucking disgusting. It's awful. And then when Stained later released the song, it was a bit more palatable, shall we say. On the, um, on the album, yeah. But then I can never forget that Bowling for Soup then ripped that fucking video so hard. Oh, they did, didn't they? On what song? So, so hard. Um, was it the uh, Girl of the Good ba- or Girl All the Good Guys want? Or, the... or was it that? I can't remember. Was it that song. video? It was in 1985. That was... That was obviously the 80s, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I've not even thought about that in so long, but... Um... Girl, all the bad guys want. Thank you. Thank you very much. How did it perform? How did how did the how did the album perform? Actually, there's a there's a, a good good segue. So yeah, pretty pretty well, as we've sort of already discussed. Um, this was of it. This was a massive album for Limp Bizkit. I think it worked for them coming out of the the hype that they had for Faith, getting this album done, and then coming off pretty pretty quickly from Faith. So the album claimed to number one in the Billboard 200, selling 643,874 copies in its first week. Wow. Shit, yeah. In its second week of release, the album sold an additional 335,000 copies. So it pretty much sold a million almost in two weeks. That's, that's impressive. As of 2011, because that's where the that's where the um, statistic went came from, the album had sold 16 million copies worldwide. 
That's not to be sniffed at. That is a fucking performance. I don't even know how much it's done in the last 10 years, but 10 years ago it had done 16 million copies. Um, Jeez, oh. Side note, Rolling got to number one in the UK singles chart. Rolling did get to number one. Uh, Rolling was massive. I think it was bigger here than it was anywhere else. It got to number five in the US, but it got to number one in the UK, which I fucking find hilarious. You could not escape Rolling. That was still can't just... It's everywhere. It is it is a very popular song, and it's clearly just the thing. Is though it's compared Roland to Significant Other, nothing on Significant Other sounds like Roland, but Roland is basically the epitome of chocolate starfish. It's kind of what it's, I mean with starfish is that that's the hip hop album with metal elements, as opposed to. The thing is though, Roland Roland doesn't have any hip hop other than a bit of rapping on it. It's all guitars. It's all like chuggy riffs. Well, yeah, but the 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 the, the verses, all of Fred's vocals, he's not screaming or shouting. It's a or, rap or, or singing, but it's not hip hop. It's, but it's a, not hip hop. No, oh, I think I think I think I find it is. I think it's. I mean, it's a hip hop track with a metal backline. Shall we say? Mm, okay, we'll we'll agree to disagree on that one. I mean, but, it starts off. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, I get that that's on a guitar and there's riffs, but like, and then it's just this full bouncy riff throughout it. Ah, Roland, I have to put, I have to really put my hands up here. I fucking hate Roland. Oh, it has been played to death. It is. I'm absolutely done with it. It comes on in a nightclub. I go to the bar. I go down to another floor. I go away. It is. I've had enough. I had enough of it by the end of 2002, and I've had enough of it in 2021. It is not my my opinion on it has not changed in 20 years. No, I'm I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Yeah, it's um, I fucking hate that song. There are better Limp Biscuit songs out there, but um, quickly I'll just rattle there off are. some chart positions. Um, yep, US Billboard Billboard 200. They got to number one in the UK. It got to number ten in the Scottish album charts. It got to number eight. I love. There's a Scottish album charts on Wikipedia. I don't know why. What, were they tracking? Yeah, were they tracking sales from like Avalanche Records? <laughs> Presumably, I don't know, but there's a Scottish album charts, uh, and it got to number eight, so it got higher there than it did in, in the whole of the UK. Apparently, the nineties were fucking weirder. Germany, because apparently our analytics tell us we have one listener in Germany, and um, it got to number thirteen. Hello, thirteen. In Germany again, it was certified gold. UK with twenty five two hundred fifty thousand sales. UK it was certified platinum with 300,000 sales. United States, it went seven times platinum for seven million sales. Seven times platinum. But then here's the question. How does that work? Because it went seven times platinum with seven million sales, but we know up until 2011, it had sold 13 million. So has it now gone 13 times platinum? Potentially. Don't know if the goalposts have been changed. These are the things, what is now going to be in we can't compare is that downloads and sales don't really match up. Yeah, fair. That 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 you know, and plays and streams. So just looking at the the streams on this now, um, I see that on Spotify, break stuff has been played two hundred and twenty seven million times. Yeah. So is that two hundred twenty seven thousand times platinum? Or two hundred twenty <laughs> times platinum. You could go, you could go down that route. Nuki's, the next song down is Nuki, so we're going from two hundred twenty-seven to sixty-four million. 
there's there's the that's how just like how disparate this album is like you've got break stuff up there you've got nookie but how many streams do you think rollings had has it hit a billion 250 million all right okay so it's on a par with break stuff basically i'd believe that because i bet you that's two different audiences i bet you you've the limp biscuit new metal fans are listening to break stuff and there'll be crossover but I would probably imagine your more general music listeners are are coming back to Roland because that was their breakout sort of pop song, wasn't it? There was. Now, you've also got another very famous song from Chocolate Starfish that you really like. Take a look around, baby. Take a look around. That's had 185 million. Should, should be more. So that's had more plays than Nookie. And he did it all for the cookie. right there's there's in in my research of significant other there you mentioned an elephant in the room earlier there is another elephant in the room with 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 significant other and i just maybe thought it was fair to acknowledge said elephant in the room it has no bearing on my understanding of the album when i was a 14 year old kid Uh, we've never really talked about that to be fair but well um We'll, um, we'll address Woodstock 1999, or Woodstock 99. Yeah. Watershed moment in the new metal history. A pretty, pretty shitty moment, to be fair. Like, it was, uh, it's not something you wanted to be proud of. Yeah, obviously this was Woodstock 1999. I had no understanding of Woodstock 99 until years later when I was older and the internet was a thing, and or more of a thing, and you could just fall down Wikipedia rabbit holes. If anyone who's not aware of Woodstock 99 and sort of Limp Bizkit's involvement in it, violent action sprang up during and after Limp Bizkit's performance at Woodstock 99, including fans tearing plywood from the walls during a performance of Break Stuff. So, well, well, when you have a song that is literally called Break Stuff, people tend to break stuff. 100%. And uh, yeah, they, they broke stuff, from what I understand. What's, what is your knowledge of Woodstock 99? From what I'm aware, it was basically played on a airfield tarmac, okay? So it was a music festival. There was apparently like 2.3 miles between the two stages. Did you Google this? I Googled, oh, mate, I've Googled the shit out of this. So it was a really hot weekend. Yep. 38 degrees Celsius. Literally. For our... You can this from fuck's sake. So it was like an unreasonably hot weekend in upstate New York. Yeah. There are, there is tarmac. There wasn't enough space for people to put their tents on. There wasn't even any trees for shade because it was an airfield and they'd cut them all down. There wasn't enough trees. Water was being sold at $6 a bottle or something or the equivalent of $6 a bottle. Um, Food was unreasonably expensive. So you've basically got a field of several how many how many people attended that's the one i didn't actually remember no i didn't read up on that either let let's say several you know many many thousands of people if you look at teen the park hit a hundred thousand people in its sort of latter years i would maybe even go as far as to say that um so did this festival okay you you've got thousands of people malnourished (laughs) dehydrated unable to walk across fucking tarmac and then a band comes on to 
telling you to rip the fucking place to bits. Well, shit. The attendant was approximately 400,000 people over four days. Fantastic. There we go. 400,000 people who've paid far too much money for food, who've not had access to, to drinking water, effectively. I think during one of the sets, one of the band, was a Puddle of Mud, asked, like, encouraged people to throw water on the it stage was, as, like, a protest kid, or something. It was Kid Rock, yeah. Kid Rock, Puddle of Mud. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Kid Rock. And, yeah, you, it was a melting pot. You've basically got a tinder dry pile of firewood. And then Limp Bizkit come on and just spark the match. 100%. The place burnt the fuck down and it was just a riot as far as I've read. Yeah, 100%. For, for, to call this a Woodstock festival is literally an insult to all predating Woodstock festivals. It was, it was barely Woodstock in name. So you're right. Food was overpriced. Burritos were being sold for $10. This, this is 1999. Burritos were being sold for $10. Hot dogs and sandwiches were at $5. Pizza was $12. And like you say, bottles of water were at $6. So it was, and people were being like searched as they were coming in. You weren't allowed to take food and water into the festival. You had to buy from the vendors there. It was the most disgusting cash grab of a music festival you could ever think of. A number of toilets, or the number of toilets installed, were not sufficient for the number of attendees. And these quickly overflowed and became unusable. So the place was an actual... It was a fire festival, but, you know, people actually able to see bands perform. Um, and it was just, but again, you, you're going to put these angry, angsty teens and give them angry, angsty music and just expect them to not fucking kick the shit up when yeah. a band comes on and, and plays a song called Break Stuff. I'm sorry, I don't want to blame Limp Bizkit for anything. The fucking festival organisers need to take some flack for that because they... They made the situation. They put everyone in that place. Limp Bizkit, like I say, they lit the match. They were the spark and it just set everyone off. They didn't, they may have started the fire, but they didn't build it. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. Unfortunately, there was some other heavy shit that went down during the performance and during the festival weekend. Uh, at least several sexual assaults were reported in the aftermath of the concert. Jesus. Eyewitnesses reported crowd, a crowd-surfing woman being pulled down into the crowd and gang-raped. In the, That's a fucking appalling... In the mosh pit during the set. That shit blows my fucking mind. Like, I can't even comprehend how that could happen where you're at a music festival and you turn around and, oh, shit, there's... Like, do, do you justify that as sex? Or, like, how, how do you rationalise that in your head? Like... Uh, I can only imagine what... I don't want to... No one gets defense for that that's horrendous like the thing is though at no point does the band or any music that was being listened to sort of encourage that no so that was that was on them that's on the perpetrators oh yeah and fucking monsters the lot of them you're right like i kind of struggled with this reading up on it and it really sort of tainted my sort of view of 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 significant other now as opposed to to previously and you know, you remember we had just a couple of months ago in January, we had Donald Trump saying, let's march on Capitol Hill. And they literally marched on Capitol Hill. So, you know, Durst is quoted as saying during the performance, people are getting hurt. Don't let anybody get hurt. But I don't think you should mellow out. 
You know, if somebody yeah. if somebody falls, pick them up. We already let the negative energy out. Now we want to let the positive energy out. I think there's another quote as well of him saying sort of he sort of you know was sort of encouraging people to to them to to, to sort of you know do what you do at a Limp Biscuit metal concert. Only sure. it was at this price gorged, too hot, fucking expensive music festival and shit went sideways um, it lasted the whole weekend um, it wasn't just during Limp Biscuit's set um, people started fires everywhere during the fucking chili peppers Like, so if you're blaming Limp Biscuit for being the aggressive angry people who encouraged violence you've then got the chilies who are not that banned <laughs> and people still decided to burn the place down um, there was a really funny sort of unfortunate coincidence where um, the Chili Peppers started playing a cover of Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, God. That can only go bad. Well, Anthony Kiedis said in his autobiography later on that, uh, I think it was Jimi Hendrix's sister, requested that they do the cover. It wasn't in response to the fires that were being started on the grounds. So, true or not... I don't know. Surely someone must have gone at this point like, guys, we've just had a whole weekend of people starting fires. Can we not sing about starting fires? Fair, please. Fair, fair point. So that happened. I know artistic, and, artistic integrity and stuff, but seriously, <laughs> yeah, that happened in Limbiscuit where um, were quote scapegoated for it. The music for Rearrange, which you didn't even know existed, apparently, um, still blows my mind. Was uh, the video for that is you know the the band going to court and put on trial and oh. drowned in a in a gas chamber or whatever. And that was in response to their their crimes at Woodstock. Fair enough. It's fair to say that like Fred Durst wasn't a popular man, was he? Like in the in the music circles for for certain things. Well, yeah. There's there's an amazing video or, or audio clip online that you can get on YouTube there, um, where as I think at the time where Fred was was interested in investing in in Stained and bringing Stained up under his sort of wing, they almost did it with a band called Taproot. Oh yeah, I know we've, the name. We've discussed Taproot offline, and uh, oh fuck offline, I'm not at work. We've discussed Taproot pri- <laughs> Taproot privately, and um, I think they essentially didn't go to Interscope Records. They went with another album, another label, and Fred phoned. I think it's Stephen Richards, Stephen Richardson, the singer of Taproot, just slating them, just like you're a fucking idiot. The manager's a fucking idiot. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like, don't you ever fucking say my band's name again? Like, you're you're shit. Like, you're never going to make it. Like, wow. Fuck you. So yeah, Fred Durst. We've called him a diva already. Is just an understatement. And he's probably the worst thing about Limp Biscuit. Goodness. In, yeah. In, he's, in but he's the he's the worst and best thing in one in one sentence. I've uh, I've got a little quote that I found from uh, a man called Trent Reznor, who I'm. I am absolutely like not bothered about Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails. I've never really gotten into them. Don't hate them, but don't particularly like them either. But I found this this quote interesting about Fred Durst from Trent Reznor. It's one thing if you know your place. Like, hey man, I'm an idiot who plays shitty music, but people buy it. Fuck it, I'm having fun. But it's another thing to think you're David Bowie after you've stayed up all night writing a song called Break Stuff. I mean, Fred Durst probably spelled break wrong the first couple of times. Fred Durst might be a cool guy, but I don't know him. But his art, in the loosest sense, sucks. 
Excellent. There's a fantastic review of Limp Bizkit and Significant Other. Yeah, and it's maybe more towards Fred Durst. I think the band deserve a little bit... The musical element of the band maybe deserve a little bit more credit than that. Like I say, it's totally reinvigorated my sort of interest in Wes Borland and and, and, and his style and what he does. Like we were talking about Slipknot earlier. Fucking love that, that, you know, I can appreciate the Slipknot masks and their brand and their style and fucking... Wes is a freaking body paint in, in contact lenses and, and I totally eat that shit up for breakfast. Totally. That's... I, I didn't really go into how I found Blint Biscuit though. I don't think. So I'll quickly run over that. Basically, I think I found it through my brother. He... I remember him having Significant Other and Freak on a Leash. I think he also had Dookie by Green Day. And uh, I remember just stealing it, burning it to tape... And I listened to it for an entire summer, skating. Nice. Because I used to be a skater nice. kid, and that that was me. Like I, 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 genuinely every day it was a good summer. Every day that we could skate, I was down at Louis Skate Park, and I melted my Walkman listening to Significant Other because I used to fucking love this album, and I think there's some some good points on it. But yeah, it's whether it's over the years of Fred or shit or whatever. It's probably not something I'm really going to go back to. Yeah. I, as I said at the beginning, this isn't an album that I'd ever gone out of my way to listen to previously. And outside of the big songs, I don't think I'm going to go back to it either. There's, it's very much, I think there's a phrase I would say is this, it's of its time. It is, it's 1999, 2000. 1999! In a, in a bottle. And can stay that way it does not translate well into 2020 2021 does not um so yeah it's been a it's been a journey but thank you very much for suggesting it as the uh the album that we listen to there's one one last thing i thought was quite funny that i found about this album quite early on and, and it totally sums up what i thought um and it's a quote from a will ferrell movie and it's just and i think Kanye west used it as well and it's like um and nobody knows what that means, but it's provocative. Like that also sums up sort of my understanding of uh, of Limp Biscuit as well. Like, what is Nuki? What is fucking break stuff? What is some of the other shit on this album? Like, it's all kind of gibberish, but it was provocative. So, we all, <laughs> yeah. so we I know, I know that. It. You know, as a fourteen-year-old, yeah, that I I enjoyed listening to it because it was edgy. It was sure. there was that you know. My my mum and dad are going to hate this, so I'm going to love it, just to piss them off. Yeah. And finally, I've never seen Limp Biscuit live, but that's me. Neither have I. Neither have I, because as I'm pretty sure has come clear in this, I don't think I was a Limp Biscuit fan. I was, I enjoyed some of their songs, but I've never gone out of my way to see them live or I listen to any album really after. Chocolate Starfish. This was this and Chocolate Starfish are the only two Limp Bizkit albums I've ever given any more than, you know, the album's length time to. Same. I never, never really stuck with them after this. Um, and like I say, Golden Cobra, I didn't really give two fucks about. I'll listen to Limp Bizkit if they're on. You know, they are a bit of a, a sort of nostalgia trip. They're a hundred percent a nostalgia trip, but there's other than significant other and or the starfish like there's there's nothing i've really gained from this band in, in a long time and 
And uh, that's that's that. Sure. Is that us wrapped up then? So that's chocolate. That's not chocolate starfish. Fuck beans. <laughs> Excellent. That has to stay in. No editing that out. So that's significant other. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, where where are we going next week? So next week was an album that I'd not listened to in a very long time, and I'm a bit apprehensive about it, but I think it's going to be good. Um, next week, I want to talk about Satellite by P.O.D. Shut the front door. P.O.D. P.O.D. Good times, man. We did mention them on, the, on, on the, I think it was on Hybrid Theory, yeah, or we've mentioned them previously. And I knew you were into this band back in the day. We must have talked about them before. Yeah, there's there's some there's some bangers on this album that I think are going to be a pleasant pleasant surprise when we go back to them. I hope they are anyway. I'm not sure I've got much to say about the album, but I've definitely got something to say about some of the songs on it. Um, is, so yes, yeah. is this when you're going to come out to the podcast as a born again Christian? We can talk about that. We can talk about that definitely. <laughs> what a cliffhanger! Alrighty then, let's leave it there. Um, this has been a live or just blathering. Thanks very much for listening. Head over to our Instagram and Twitter at AOGB Podcast. Hook us up. Give us some. Uh, give us some feedback. Give us a review if you can. I think uh, in, in Apple you can review an app. Uh, that would that would be great, and that would help us spread the message of two thirty somethings creatively. What was it you said, love? Creatively bankrupt. I think I just described us as a on a on a Discord server that I'm a member of. Creatively bankrupt. Thanks, Wade, for getting the joke on that post. That's great. And um, yeah, next week on Alive or Just Brethering, Lav is going to take us through Satellite by Pod. Thank you very much for listening. Good night, y'all. Little biscuit. Nineteen ninety nine.